Hey folks, welcome back. This is episode eight of Middle Class Rockstar. I have a show coming up with my band. I don't think I've mentioned, I don't think I've done any self-promo on the show yet. Eight episodes in. But my band is playing our last show of the year, unless we book another show before the end of the year, on November 30th at Globe Hall in Denver. We're performing with Halloway and Larimer Lights. We're trying to sell it out. It's a 250 cap room. We're all working our butts off selling those pre-sale tickets. If you'd like to go, shoot me an email, middleclassrockstar at gmail.com, or hit me up on the socials, and I would be more than happy to sell you a ticket. Okay, how about our sponsor? We're going to start off with the sponsor today, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. For any of your audio restoration needs, you can get a hold of him at www.pqmastering.com. All right, let's jump into the show. I've got Tyler Grant on today. I've wanted to have Tyler on for a while. His band is Grant Farm. It finally came to fruition as roommates. Our beds are about eight feet apart from each other for the next few months, so we've gotten closer than I ever possibly imagined. I should mention Grant Farm. Their new Kickstarter is live now. They have a new album coming out in 2019 called Broke In Two, um, and they've got some cool packages. If you go to Kickstarter, there's a link for their Kickstarter in the description of this podcast, but you can also go check it out for yourself. You can get private lessons from anyone in the band. Sean McCauley, Ace Engfer, Kevin McHugh, Tyler Grant. I think they're giving out eight lessons each. Well, not giving out, but for the for the donation. I think it's a $100 donation. You can get a private lesson. You can get a performance. I'm getting a hat, a T-shirt, and a signed copy of the CD in my package. So go to their Kickstarter, check it out, and support their new record. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, Tyler and I are roommates now. I'm interviewing Tyler Grant. We're roommates. It's weird because our bedrooms are literally right across the hall from each other, and I've sort of had this nice arrangement where everyone else lives upstairs and I live in the basement. It allows me to... It allows a little bit of separation. I like it. I'm right next to the band room. I like that. In fact, you can see right through my bedroom into the band room. There's, there's no windows. And I like that. I like that. I like, And I like having my own bathroom. That's the biggest thing. I don't like... I haven't shared a bathroom since college, and I like it that way. You know, I know... And for me, clean is... As long as I know where all my whiskers are, uh, you know, that's fine, right? If they're, if they're up on the sink and it's a little messy, those are mine. They're, they're my whiskers, and they're up on the sink, so it's, it, it's clean, right? You wipe off the mirror every once in a while. You clean the toilet bowl every once in a while. And nobody complains, but now I'm now I'm sharing a bathroom again, and I guess that was my only reservation about having a roommate with me in the basement. And and it's happening. And Tyler and I finally came to an agreement uh, of what would happen with the with two grown ass men sharing a bathroom. I know it's been done before many times, but I like my own bathroom. I like my privacy. What can I say? And so we came to an agreement. Anytime Tyler uses the bathroom for a number two or greater, I get a free guitar lesson. Okay, we are up to 64 and a half free guitar lessons. I haven't gotten any of these lessons yet, 
but I'm keeping close tally. Uh, if you're wondering where the .5 came from, there was one time when we were both headed into the bathroom. I was a step ahead of him, and he asked if he could go first because he just had to. He just had to pee, and I said, "Well, sure." And he was in there for slightly longer than I had anticipated, so I charged him a half a lesson for that one. But it's actually in. in it's been kind of fun. A lot of times he makes an effort to use Luke or Kevin's bathroom so that he doesn't owe me a lesson, and I think that that's funny. And also, if he is going to use the restroom, sometimes he'll walk downstairs and, and peek in my room and say, another lesson, Sido," and then he'll go in and lock the bathroom door. It's great. It's just great. I love sharing. I love sharing a bathroom. He also said he was going to give me some free cleaning lessons, uh, along with the free guitar lessons. But I fear that a cleaning lesson from a flat-picking hippie may just entail peeing in the toilet and letting it sit there for a few hours. What? Was that? Was that? Uh, okay. All right. Sorry. Bad joke. Anyway, have we talked enough about bathrooms? Is everyone grossed out? I hope you're not eating dinner right now. Well, that's the last of it. We're going to jump right into the interview. I think this is the only time I've been a little bit loose for an interview, a middle-class rock star. And Tyler was as well, to be sure. We did the interview in the basement before bed in my room, and he brought down his bottle of Evan Williams, and we were drinking that and having a good time. I don't think there was too much slurs in the speech, too many missed puns, but Maybe a few, and I think that uh, that adds to the magic of interviewing a roommate. So, let's jump right into it. My interview with Tyler Grant. So when I start, I, I've been doing this thing where I introduce the artist in the monologue, and then when I start the interview, I reintroduce the artist, and it's sort of redundant. So when I start the interview, we can just pretend like we're in mid-conversation, right? You know, like, hey, did you get that robe I sent you? I was expecting you to wear it to the interview. Okay. That sort of thing. All okay. Right. All right. We've been on the air the whole time. So here we are. What's happening? Hey, man, I'm wearing my Andy Sitto signature sweatpants. <laughs> and I'm really cozy here in the room. Can we cuss? Yeah. Shooting the shit with Sitto. Oh, hey, that's actually a legal FCC word these days, I think. Yeah, yeah, and the and bitches too. Bitch, yes. And I didn't realize that until the Nathaniel Rateliff tune came out. And son it, of a bitch. Yeah, it was said like thirty-eight times mm-hmm. or something crazy. And he like says that it all over the place on that damn song. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That the funny thing is, do you remember the uh, the Tom Petty song from the nineties? Let's get to the point. Let's roll another joint. You were too young for this, but I remember it on MTV. <laughs> okay, that song was blurred. He says, "Let's smoke or let's roll another noint." They did this thing to cover up the word, make joint. it sound like noise or something. Because yeah, they didn't want the drug reference. So, are you kidding me? We've really grown up a lot in this country. I believe that uh, we've come a long way. Intolerance of these kind of words. Intolerance. Why? Well, what I think is funny is listening to old old songs and new and. Uh, they sound like something else. You know, there's the innocent ones like Rolling Stones. Never leave your pizza burning, right? You know, there's that. But then there's some dirty ones, you know, that we can't even. 
<laughs> that we shouldn't talk about. Well, have you listened to Brown Sugar? I mean, my God. <laughs> that's that's a very yeah. racy song. It's for... about interracial sex. Well, yeah, but it goes on and on to say some really dirty, yeah. specifically dirty things. Like, I don't think you could put oh, that out. you make a dead man. Yeah, yeah. right. I right. mean... I'm not even going to go there. Even could you the put that out in 2018? Could you put that um, I think you could probably get away with it, um, but who knows? I mean, Has censorship gotten I think that more would, stingy or, or less? Well, it's probably gotten less stingy because nobody gives a fuck anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly don't. <laughs> in those days, people really... Paid attention. These days, you can put something out, and no one's gonna fucking listen to it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So no, there you go. That's very true. And you're telling me this is you just got back to the house from, a, a, you know, a long twelve hour studio day. Yeah, and I've just cussed twice on your podcast. That's right. With a non FCC approved word. And <clears throat> uh, to that point, it actually helps bands to have explicit lyric on their little tag like I, i've noticed this like groups on spotify i check out like our buddies like oh shit they have an explicit lyric tag on their spotify album cover and they've got like a, you know twenty thousand plays on that one but none on the rest yeah yeah is there something to that, that oh yeah like if, you, if you have an explicit lyric it, you stand out so you know we've kind of we haven't really talked about this much with grant farm honestly but something i've thought about bringing up like hey maybe we should say fuck on a song yeah and put explicit lyric on the cover and maybe people will listen to it my my most popular song has profanities in it for sure there you go yeah. so anyway not to turn so dark on this podcast uh but we're just profiling a world where everyone really just kind of wants their music to be heard and people listen some people listen you know, but we're very grassroots. We're incredibly grassroots. We're not anywhere close to mainstream in any way. So I think we can probably say whatever we really want. What? I thought you were going to say. I thought I was going to say it too, but I figured. But you I held should, off, right? Yeah. You're being tasty. Let's with try your to cursing. be. Let's let's class it up a little bit. It's got to be a good curse. You know. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> heck yes. Shit yes. <laughs> <laughs> we should get into uh, into all that stuff with the censorship and where the industry's at and and all that good stuff. But let's go back for a minute. Okay. Uh you were born born whence? 76. 1976. Yeah, May 23rd. What was the main thing that happened that year? Disco. Um, <clears throat> well, it was the bicentennial of the United States and it was also the year Star Wars was released. Mm. Uh, there was a lot going on in 76. I mean, obviously, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, yeah. But... Um, John Williams changed the world of music forever. Oh, indeed. Indeed. And, you know, there was Joseph Campbell archetypal mythological studies, like in mainstream movies. And, you know... Anyway, that's one thing that happened. Uh, 76, let's see. J.J. Cale had some good albums out. Uh, the Grateful Dead. JJ Kale. Yeah, my Grateful, favorites. Grateful Dead were still happening. They were, you know, doing some of their prime stuff at that time. The world of music was really happening. I mean, all the great country artists were still cranking. You know, Merle Haggard was in his prime. Um, let's see. <clears throat> 
76, the year of the dragon. <laughs> this kind of recurs every 12 years in the Chinese zodiac. Right? Ah. The year, what's what's your year? What's your 91. But what's your uh, Chinese zodiac year? I expected you'd know and could do the math. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what my zodiac year You're is. You're probably a year of the chicken or a year of the uh, uh, snake or... Yeah, I like. I would like to be the year of the snake if I am choosing between the two. But um, on the liner notes of this episode, you better list what your year is. What my year You're is. Look okay. it up. We're not going to spend time during. The we live. do know I'm not the year of the dragon because we weren't born a multiple of twelve apart. I don't know if that's exactly how it works. Oh, I'm rather ignorant to these things. I know okay. what I know. Well, you know, you're not allowed to give any false information. We have to cite all our sources on this thing. Okay, well, <laughs> again, in the liner notes, we will acknowledge any <laughs> falsely cited and non-attributed sources, indeed. There you go. Uh, when did you start playing music? I started playing music, really, when I was about six years old. Uh, Mom and Dad made us play piano, and we hated it. We hated piano. I still hate piano. I mean, I don't hate piano, but I just don't play it yeah. at all. I suck at piano. But we played for four years, and we got good, and I hated it so much. By the time I was 10, they finally let us quit, and I just blocked it all from my mind. It's the funniest thing. Dad had guitars laying around because Dad plays guitar and sings great classic Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Carl Perkins. He grew up in the 50s, Mm. and uh, I remember picking up the guitar one day, you know, they were always around, and every now and then we might hit a string or bang on it, but Dad was our campfire entertainer. He would sing songs in the evening and entertain everybody, and he was the only one in our family who did anything like that. And I asked him one day, so you just pick the strings and move your hand and bank chords? And he says, well, son, it's a little bit more complicated. Sometimes you use your fingers over here in your right hand and this and that. And I said, oh, that sounds way too complicated. I don't want to do that, you know. So so years later, I got into it when I was in high school, freshman year of high school. Uh, I was into sports. I was an athlete, but high school sports were not my thing, I realized. And mom said, hey, you, you know, your, your, your friend is taking guitar lessons. Why don't you take guitar lessons? Give, give you something to do after school, you know? Yeah. So it was just on a total whim. Never, ever thought that this would be my life. And, you know, you know once you start playing an instrument, you hear music for the first time right in a lot of ways so i started playing guitar and i'd heard Jimi hendrix i'd heard led zeppelin but i didn't get it and then once i started playing guitar and i heard all that i was like whoa i really get it i heard a Mm. wah-wah pedal and i'm like oh that's that thing oh i love this yeah right right, once you're in the scene then you understand it so you know in a way i really admire music fans who dig real music and don't play music because for me it was playing music that introduced me to how it really goes right so yeah that's when i started freshman year of high school and then by the time i was in sophomore year i was in a band and we did an album and you know by the time i was 19 i'd played on several albums and had just kind of gotten into it and but didn't really truly get serious i was gifted and had a thing i could play rock and roll and play some acoustic blues and those are the kind of things I got started on. And then I didn't get into anything remotely country or bluegrass or flat picking until college. Really? And I didn't take guitar really seriously and practice daily for hours until I got to college. And were you, you were taking lessons all through high school, though. That was a, for, you were doing formal lessons along with For about a band. year. Okay. 
And then we started playing in the band. I'm like, I don't need lessons. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, I'm in a band now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was, you know, you, you know, you're studying, you're listening, you're learning. Um, but no, my formal training didn't continue until I got to college. And that really uh, kind of started over. It's like, okay, I had to relearn a lot of stuff. That's when I got into classical technique. And Were you and, majoring in it in college? Yeah. <clears throat> Not at first. I was just going to college because... I was this honor student, you know, all growing up, super advanced in school. And then once I got into guitar, <laughs> in about middle of high school, I started to really not care about school anymore. So right. I, you know, I kind of dropped out of all the AP and honors classes and graduated from high school. I don't want to go to college. I just want to play rock and roll. Right. And dad and mom said, well, who's going to pay for your health insurance? If you go to college, your health insurance, blah, blah, blah. All these cases. Well, okay, maybe I should go to college. So I went to the community college, Grossmont College in San Diego. And the California... And you grew up in around San Diego, correct? In Hamul, California. Okay. 20 miles east of San Diego. Gotcha. Downtown. So we're out in the East County, South. We are right by the border, 15 miles north of the border, so... You know, my joke is that I grew up in the deep south. And it's true. When I moved to Nashville, I was moving north in latitude. So yeah. people asked, oh, are you from, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from the deep south. I'm from Southern California. I suppose that's true. But anyway, um, yeah. So there we are in San Diego. The Grossmont Community College uh, was part of the community college system in California. And at that time, it was 13 bucks a unit. So... I was there for four years before I transferred up to Cal Arts to get my bachelor's. So I, so you know, I did a four-year education in six years. But during that time, I was really soaking up everything I could from the Grossmont College music program. I was taking lots of non-music major classes like jazz piano, right? And I still I never really picked any of that up. Right. Vocals, <clears throat> things that weren't part of the music music major program. But during that time, I decided, okay, I really do want this to work toward a degree. You know, after about a year or two in college, I realized, okay, I want to really do this, really learn music and get a degree, get a bachelor's at least. So I chose my major as music. And at Grossmont College, you had to play classical music. There was no jazz program. There was nothing else. Contemporary, yeah. All of those classes, you could do them. You could learn jazz and play in the jazz band and all this stuff, but it was not music major related um and i did them all anyway because it was a great education so i studied with fred benedetti the classical guitar uh head of the department at grossmont college as well as san diego state and fred is the greatest he is a renowned instructor world-renowned player of classical music of flamenco music of lots of styles and he understands music at a level where everything he was showing me was from a classical perspective, but branched out to everything else that we know about music. And that's what I gained from my classical studies, which continued uh, on into CalArts and studying with Miroslav Tadic and Stuart Fox at CalArts, where I realized that I was on a certain path that it really helps you to get to a level with, because that ultimately translates to everything else you do in music, not just technically on your instrument, but interpretation of music, uh, analysis of music you can take all of these skills and apply them to anything you do breaking things down into their components uh Mm -hmm. musically technically anything 
So that became a path that at first I was really reluctant and didn't think it was going to work for me because I didn't really like classical music. I wasn't that interested in it. Right. But again, as a guitarist, you start playing classical guitar and all of a sudden you hear these Christopher Parkening records and you hear these Julian Bream records and Andre Segovia records and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this. This is yeah. amazing. And to this day, I'm a huge fan of classical guitar. So that was a path that, again, <clears throat> growing up in Hamul, out in the country and starting to play guitar and then okay, all of a sudden I'm a classical guitarist. Okay, cool. But I knew that wasn't going to be my, that wasn't my goal. I didn't want to be a recital guitarist because I thought the pressure would be too much and it's so hard. You have to work so hard to get right. to that level. And it's funny because now I'm at, I'm doing that anyway, going and playing solo gigs or doing flat picking. It's the same thing. You're yeah. up there on a stage. You're doing recitals exposed. every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, at the time... I didn't think the classical would translate into the rest of the music, but it, it it's proven that it has. And so, yeah, my studies took me all the way through a bachelor's degree from California Institute of the Arts, graduated in the year 2000. And by that time was really serious about guitar. And by that time I got into flat picking and bluegrass. So uh, you went from the time you went to school, to the time you finished, There's that's what, about a six year gap took mm -hmm. Um, and your teacher that you had there, your classical guitar teacher, is he still teaching at Fred the... Fred Benedetti. He's still out there in San Diego. Hey, Fred. Uh, he's the chair. I don't, I'm not sure if he's... I don't think he's retired yet, but he's uh, the chair of the guitar program at San Diego State University in Grossmont College. You stay in touch with him? I haven't been in touch in a long time with any of my instructors, which I feel really, really bad about. It's one of those things that, you know, one of these days, I'm going to sit down and write a long letter to yeah. all my teachers that I know. Um, <laughs> but it's, I don't know that song. <laughs> anyway, that's an interpretation of a Neil Young song. So yeah, there's all these people that uh, I would love to be in touch with, but they, knowing what I witnessed during my time working with them, they're just as busy as I, you know, everyone's busy. They're, these guys right. are, were the busiest people I knew and watching them when I was at that age, I'm like, oh my God, how do these people keep up? And then here we are at our age, like, oh, my God, what are we doing? How what are we, we doing? With, yeah. Right. And so what were you doing those six year, years in school? Uh, were there some specific bands or a specific project in there that you were? There's about hundreds of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Meet any, you know, <clears throat> cool players, you know, that you that you stay in touch with or that became bigger later? Oh, yeah. Was... Well, at CalArts, I mean, some of our San Diego buddies, um, were huge influences and are still playing and some of them are still around San Diego and some of them have moved away. And then some of my buddies from Cal Arts, you know, are big time, you know, well-known players these days. And, uh, you know, I, I keep in touch with a handful of them, but again, it's like, as you move through the stages of your life, I've learned that I've kind of reinvented myself in every stage of the way. And my first stage of that was college. And that was the first time I lived away from home and really found a version of myself. And then so somehow, I don't know if it's like this for a lot of people, but for me, when I left college, I re-identified with who I was after college. And then I moved to Nashville and you know met this whole new 
crew of friends and musical colleagues, most of those who I, I still keep in touch with and, and I'm really close to, because that was when I really kind of became an adult in music. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just, again, there's lots of folks I would love to stay in touch with, but, you know, everyone's busy and you kind of just live your life and move on and then you're sitting in Andy Sitto's room. You're sitting, yeah. Talking to him, a bathroom on, the, with him on the podcast. Yeah. And so, and so backing up a little bit, it's 2000, you get your degree. Uh, is that when you went to Nashville or did yeah. you start? You yeah, went... a couple of years later. I thought about staying around LA. Um, and LA is cool and I'm a West Coast guy. Um, but then it's, you know, I fell in love with a girl in San Diego and that kind of, prompted me to move back to san diego um and i had a scene there before college back to san diego from from la from california okay. cal arts which is in valencia uh north of la gotcha and so i thought after cal arts well i'll just move to la and plug into the scene live in you know north hollywood or wherever all these musicians are living and plug right. into the scene and do la gigs and all that um <clears throat> anyway so fate brought me back to san diego where i got into the things i was doing before playing gigs uh played in a grateful dead cover band played in a reggae band you know things i grew up doing around san diego in the beach clubs yeah electric waistbands is still playing uh, monday nights at winston's you know 30 years later and that you were in that group i was in that group for for about five years of that in the wow. late late 90s and taught lessons i started teaching lessons when i was 19 um and so taught lessons and did gigs around San Diego and then decided, well, I actually didn't decide, but a friend of mine, Brian Landers uh, from CalArts, moved to Nashville and said, hey, there's a room in this house, you know, that I'm living in, you know, this is this is the rent. And, you know, he moved there to join a band. I said, oh, wow, cool. All right. And I got way into flat picking and we were both into this bluegrass scene together, you know at the time and also into everything else we were into um being wide open musicians as anyone who goes to cal arts you know that kind of turned me on to things i never even heard about you know world music jazz avant-garde and anything you could you could think of uh so yeah there we we went and moved to nashville in january of 2003 mm -hmm. and that is what <clears throat> plugged me into the rest of the world uh and that's and, when the flat picking got serious? Yeah, I was serious about it by then, and that's kind of what I wanted to do was get really good at bluegrass flat picking and join one of the big groups who right. does that. Um, and the appeal to me at the time was, okay, well, <clears throat> I'd really gotten into Tony Rice and a lot of the kind of modern bluegrass players, Nickel Creek, Chris Thiele, this whole scene, and realize that that music is at a classical level it's you know yeah. rooted in this american country folk kind of uh heritage but these people are playing at a very classical level and and i realized having these tools of understanding music at that at that type of level that oh, okay you can take whatever genre that you like whatever you're into whatever you you might be culturally connected to and you can pursue that at this very high level which all the new acoustic players daryl anger david grisman everyone who had started this movement in the 60s and 70s and continued on until at that time the 90s and 2000s and oh brother had happened by then so 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 bluegrass music was really big and i say bluegrass in a very broad term you know like bluegrass mm -hmm. new acoustic nickel creek all this evolution 
of what had happened from the bluegrass music tradition, which is a string band acoustic tradition. And it was a real kind of golden era of that at the time and going to Nashville and being able to go to the station in and hear amazing players all the time to go to picking parties and pick with David Greer. And, and did you get Tim into O'Brien. into that pretty quick? Were you did you feel like you were accepted into the scene in Nashville pretty yeah. quickly? Oh yeah. You were able to get gigs and play and I mean <clears throat> I was accepted into the scene of the pickers and the bluegrass people and you know, I never got into mainstream Nashville. That's not me at all. Right. I don't I don't you know I there didn't. was no pickup trucks and beer and girls. No, no. I didn't go to the gym. I wasn't really working on my songwriting even at the time. I was just trying to be a really good bluegrass guitarist. Mm. So I was focused on that and quickly got gigs. Yes, I got into touring bands. Abigail Washburn was the first, one of the first gigs. Um, cool. And we, we, we did some stuff together early on. Um, and went to China on her first China trip. Wow! And and that wasn't that that wasn't really a full time thing. The first full time gig was uh, Adrian Young and Little Sadie, and that started in two thousand three, spring of two thousand three, like you know, five six months after I moved there. Because immediately, it's just like every other scene. You go to Nashville, and you meet all of these young players or players, you know, in your you know, in your scene, in your age group who are out there doing what you're doing and you get connected, uh, not just with great scenes to jam with, but you get connected with bands looking for players. Right. Um, and it worked out great for me at the time, um, that I got into the Adrian Young group and we, you know, we're a full-time group for about a year and a half and we played all the big festivals, you know, that first year after I'd moved to Nashville, we had performed at Merle Fest, at Rocky Grass, Philadelphia Folk Festival, Boston Folk Festival, Newport Folk Festival, you know, these wow. big festivals all you over the, the country. You were the lead guitar player. Yeah. Um so so that became my niche there for for a lot of the time I was in Nashville as I was I was kind of backing up, you know, female artists, you know, cuz I'm I did well singing harmony and uh and playing good guitar parts and being able to cover, you know, lots of basses. You think that's what got you involved with female artists specifically was just your harmony worked well? Uh, it was that was vocal. it was just fate. Yeah, it just happened that, that happened way. that way. But yeah, my biggest uh, gigs, you know, during my Nashville time, were uh, with Abigail and Adrian Young and April Virch, great uh, <clears throat> Ottawa Valley uh, fiddle player and singer songwriter. You know, great Americana artist, one of the best performers I've ever played with. Uh, and yeah, it was you know the the. It, it's funny being in this scene we're in today and seeing more and more females have opportunities and it's 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 almost like an affirmative action movement a lot of you know uh really trying to even out the the gender barriers which which still exist um at this time it was like I didn't even know that I wasn't even aware of that it was just you know there's yeah. these great artists out there who needed a guitar player and uh I, I'm I'm really good at singing harmony to, to a female voice. That's that's part of what I got into. Yeah. Um anyway, those are my big gigs. And then uh and then I got the call from Drew Emmett in 05. And that got me back into the kind How of did the, you how did you get a call from him? Um 
you know, again, you're in Nashville and you got your buddies and your musical friends. And, and, and I was really tight with, with all the guys in the string dusters. Andy Hall was one of my first roommates when I lived in Nashville, Chris Pandolfi, Chris Eldridge, uh, these guys were all really close friends. And, uh, Pandolfi was subbing gigs for Matt Flinner, who was the banjo player for a Drew Emmett band for a while. And, uh, and Chris said, hey, and Ross Martin was the guitar player. He's another Denver connection. Ross Martin, one of the, the greats of, of any style of guitar. Uh, he was playing with Drew at the time, and he was fixing to leave the band, and Pandolfi was on tour with them and said, hey, Drew's looking for a guitar player pretty soon. And he put in a word, and I sent a demo tape, and I was basically just hired on a recommendation from Ross and from Chris Pandolfi. Wow. Um, so, yeah, just... There's this network of friends and musicians and people you you know you still stay in touch with and uh, watching players like that you know Pandolfi and Andy Hall and the the way the Dusters have grown into this into this big entity you know we were around watching the genesis of that and I remember at the time being so envious of these guys I'm like oh they have this thing where they all really want to do this band together yeah um, and that didn't happen for me until you know until we started Grant Farm and you know now that's the world we're living in that's today the thing. And how long were you playing the Drew Emmett thing started how long were you involved I still that? I still do gigs with Drew we, we do okay. a handful of gigs every year um, usually just a few but that was a full-time thing for about mm, Two or three years, and then and that had a, it Greg evolved. Greg Garrison was on bass on that. Yep, yeah. The first Drew Emmett band that we played in for that first year or so was Greg on bass and Jeff Sipe on drums. Um, so that was like jumping into a really heavy music, you know, musical mix. And Drew already having you know a level of success through Leftover Salmon, and he is you know doing his his solo band, so you know he struggled too. It wasn't as big as Leftover at all, right? But we were playing some really big shows. You know, we played Telluride Bluegrass Festival a couple times, and wow. every time we played Telluride, you know, Sam Bush would be playing fiddle with us, and John Cowan would be singing no with us. It kidding. was the real Telluride experience. Yeah. You know? So we had some amazing times with that group, um, and spending all that time with Greg and, and with Jeff. And the band evolved uh, for a while. Eric Turin was playing bass, and uh, Stephen Sandifer was playing drums. And eventually, Bill Nershi and Drew got involved and wanted to start the Emmett Nershi band. And Bill played guitar already, so I said, "Well, maybe I'll play bass." So I played bass with Emmett Nershi band for a few you years. You play an upright bass or electric? No, I cannot play upright bass. I'm yeah. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the bass player in that group. For I a know, while. but I had a nice. Uh, I still have it, the old thumper. It's right here in the closet. Uh, um, K hollow body like a beetle bass. Yeah, you know, I put flat wounds on it. it had a good sound. Nice. Uh, but I didn't care. I didn't want to adopt the uh, upright bass lifestyle. I still have. I'm. St- I still have classical guitar nails. I'm still like you know, committed to this guitar. <laughs> yeah. Guitar world. Right. Uh, right. Uh, so then, at what point <clears throat> did you start doing the Winfield competition? That was like during that. that time, like right when I moved to Nashville, I got into that. So early 2000s? Yeah, early 2000s. And my first win was Rocky Grass here in Colorado, the Colorado State Flapping Championship at Rocky Grass Festival in 2003. Um, and then that went on, and then I performed at the festival in 04 with Adrian Young. So that was a real kind of full circle. It was a coincidence, but worked out well. Well, ultimately you'd rather be playing the festival than winning the contest, you know. So yeah. that was just a the path a cool. all worked out, you know, well. 
so yeah, I got into the flat picking contest and that was partly a way to further my mastery of flat picking guitar, but also just a way to make a living because you win prizes and uh, most of them, you know, you win nice guitars. And Is that what you got? Rocky Grass, a nice guitar? Yeah, a Gibson Advanced Jumbo from uh, Gibson Guitar Company, um, which I ended up trading in toward a Gibson Sandbush Mandolin. And my buddies there at the Gibson uh, Custom Shop in Nashville, you know, helped me to facilitate that. Um, Todd Wright, who was the sales rep at the time, brought me in and I told him that, hey, we're playing all these festivals this year with Adrian Young and Little Sadie. We're going to be playing at, and I listed all the festivals we were playing at, um, and I'd like an artist deal on a mandolin, if you don't mind, if you know, if that's worth it to you. And so I traded in the guitar plus a little bit of money for a really nice Gibson Sandbush mandolin, which is the prize for Rocky Grass uh, mandolin contest, which, mm. I, ne- which I never uh, competed in. But uh, yeah, and then that continued from there and you win guitars and you keep some of them or most of them I ended up selling and putting either toward debt or toward making a living or toward other instruments or other equipment that did I you needed. do you feel a sentimental thing with your prize guitars that it it seems like it might i mean i can understand if it's worth enough money <laughs> you might rather have the money sometimes depending on what circumstance you're in or a different instrument um but did you ever feel a sentimental i don't know if i can get rid of this oh one. sure sure but not really <laughs> no i mean yes and no i mean you end up with the instruments that you really need that speak to you and yeah. uh, of the maybe eight or so contest instruments that I won, uh, I only, I've only really held on to one. And uh, that was? My Gallagher, Gallagher G55. And you won that one? In Winfield uh, in uh, 2014. And I had another Gallagher Doc Watson, which was the, you know, that was my prized Gallagher the you know sort of flagship Gallagher instrument, the Doc Watson model, and it was for the Doc Watson guitar contest at Merlefest in in '09, which they don't even do anymore, unfortunately. Uh, but that one I ended up selling uh, because I needed the money. But so um, the Gallagher you got in 2014 was for what competition? For Winfield. And you? <clears throat> it was third place. You got third place that year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when was the first year you entered Winfield? Oh five. And and for people that don't know about Winfield, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. I know there's a a flat picking competition. I think there's a finger picking and a songwriting. Is there banjo, mandolin as well? Yep, banjo and uh, some of them are the national. Some of them have different designations of their significance. Like the national flat picking championship has traditionally been the biggest one, but nowadays there is also the international finger style competition, which draws people from all over the world. And that has become basically the biggest, uh, the biggest deal for the contest at Winfield, the international finger style. And now the national mandolin championship is there. That started, I don't know, five or six years ago. So Winfield is, if you're a, a bluegrass picker or or finger picker, it, that's that's the place to be. That's the sure. I mean, if you're into contest playing, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the. Yeah, which a lot of players are. A lot of uh, well-known uh, players in the scene today came up, you know, going to Winfield and competing in the contest. But a lot of them didn't. You know, it just depends on, you know, if you were exposed to that and into that. How many people did they let in? 
Uh, they limit it to 40 for the flat picking. Okay. And how do you get in to that You form? register ahead of time, and if it fills up, you get put on a waiting list. Um, and Can anybody, could I sign yeah. up if I wanted oh, yeah. to? It's, it's as open. long as I'm one of the first 40? Yeah. Oh. You just have to sign up and pay the pay the fee. Gotcha. Um, and then you need a festival ticket, you know, to go. Uh, so, yeah, they limit it to 40. And it's anonymous. It's supposed to be gender neutral, non-biased, completely. The judges are in a different room. They cannot see the stage. They don't know who's playing. And you have a number. And when you when you get on stage and sit in front of the microphone, you're not supposed to say anything. You can be disqualified for speaking. Wow. Because it's anonymous. They don't want to know your gender. They don't want to know who you are. So... You just get up and they call your number. Here's contestant number five, you know, and you get up and you play. Um, so, and then if you make the next round, then you, you know, they pick the top five and the top five. From 40. Of 40. Wow, and they cut it really quick. Yeah, and there's and there's there's guidelines. There's no rules specifically, but there are guidelines to uh, how the scoring works. Um, you know, you want to keep it within the genre uh, you want to have your elements of technicality and musicality, and um, you know it, there there are big pro- big points for appropriateness. Like you don't want to go up there playing bebop; you're not right. going to win, even if you play something amazing. You have to tie it into traditional flat picking. And as I started going to contests, I realized, oh, <clears throat> it's probably the same in every sport, in gymnastics or anything else. You watch and you see, oh, this person seemed to get a good score because they did this and this and this, you know. So I started studying that and put my arrangements together based on what I observed. Um, And that's a big part of it is putting arrangements uh, or playing a style. Some people improvise. Uh, I put arrangements together just because I wanted to, you know, be sure of what I was going to play. Right. Uh, And treated it almost like a classical performance. You know, you learn your arrangement. You can pull it off really consistently. You practice that all year Every day, you know, just you to pick nail it, it. You pick it right after the competition and you work it for a year. Well, you know, I didn't work it for a whole year, but, you know, for, for whatever, several months, you know, ahead of time. A lot of people do, like, focus. You know, the year I won Winfield, I did focus, you know, about at least six, seven months. And what year did you win? Oh, eight. Oh, eight. And how many times did you enter before you won? Uh, just the once. I got second place in 05, and then I came back in 08 and got first place. And then I came back in 2014 and got third place. Wow. So I did well those first three. Once you win, you can't come back for six years. So I took my grace period and came back and got third place. And then since then, I went a couple times and I made the top five and didn't place in the top three once. And then I didn't even make the top five last time. So it's yeah. just, you know, you never know. Well, to 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 get down to the five from 40, uh, even for it. A great player is it sort of an any given day sort of thing. Oh, totally. You know, and who's judging? And you know, it, have but you ever judged it? I haven't judged Winfield, but I've judged other contests. And you know, as someone in that position, a lot of people feel they they don't want to. They don't want to be the one having to choose. But if you if you stick to the points strictly. Uh, it really works. And and for me, when I, you know, the couple of contests that I judged, I really stuck to the points. You know, I, I was really trying hard to be, to let justice, you know, reign in that, in that contest. Right. And I would see a player who played this amazing, beautiful thing, but that wasn't in the style. And I give them 10 points for execution, but, you know, for authenticity, they might get a really low score. Um, so it had nothing to do 
with who I thought was the best player or what I liked the most. I really tried to stick to the numbers, tried to stick to the point system. Right. And that's what I hope happens at Winfield, but you know, you never know. You never know. So when do you decide to move from Nashville? So years after playing with Drew and then playing with the Emmett Nursery Band, uh, we had spent a lot of time in Colorado. And I kind of came to a crossroads where I was gone so much from Nashville that I wasn't really getting much in-town work. Because when you're in Nashville, you're either on in a touring band or you're in town doing sessions. You know, if you're a player, that's that. those were my goals, was either to be in a great band or to be a great session player. So when you're gone all the time, you don't get the calls. You you know, even if you get a call and you're out of town, which started to happen, you know, I was getting a couple of calls, but I'll oh, shoot him out of town and then you don't get the call again. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to commit if you're going to make that step to truly being a Nashville session guy or gal and just be in town. Um, and I didn't really want to do that. I was playing so many gigs, touring the West, you know, playing Telluride Bluegrass Festival, doing all these great gigs with Drew and with Bill and realized that I would rather be an artist and be myself and live out West where I could do that than to live in Nashville and be a session player. So I made that choice to move to Colorado to start my own band basically, which I didn't think was going to fly in Nashville. We're a little too hippie, you know? Right, right. Um, And all the things that I wanted to do, there was some projects I did in Nashville of my own or with with some other players that were really trying to be traditional bluegrass or trying to be a certain thing or another that I thought would fly around there. And none of them really panned out. And, you know, moving to Colorado and kind of being back west, you know, where kind of closer to where I come from, and being in a scene where I already had fans through playing with Drew and, and, uh, right. and playing with them at Nursery Band. Um, and I thought, okay, well, maybe we'll do this. So moved here and was still playing with them at Nursery for a little while. And Andy Thorne, banjo player uh, who plays with Leftover Salmon today, uh, we started the band together. We, you know, we had a bunch of music that we'd each written and music we'd worked on together, you know, being on the road together. Um, and wanted to do some of our own music that we didn't play in the Emmett Nursery Band. Right. That, that band was mostly about Bill and Drew. Um, so we started doing gigs as, you know, the Grant Thorne duo or Andy Thorne and Tyler Grant. Nowadays we call it the champ and the colonel. I'm the champ and he's the colonel. <laughs> um, but that evolved into Grant Farm and we were a bluegrass group for a minute. Uh, prog- pretty progressive group. So th- who was the original lineup of Grant Farm? Well, it was me and, and what, Andy. And what year was this? Uh, 2009. And it was just you two at first? Just, just me and Andy. Okay. Uh, but the, the the name Grant Farm probably didn't happen until about 2010 because I knew that Andy wasn't going to do it full-time. I knew that he was going to join Leftover Salmon pretty soon and that was going to be full-time for him. And I, in the meanwhile, quit Emmett Nursery Band because I wanted to pursue Grant Farm full time. And I came up with the name. And for me, it was just a joke. It's like, oh, get it? It rhymes with Ant Farm. It's really funny. Right, right, right. And Andy liked it. So we went with that. And we had this little four-piece bluegrass group. And Jordan Ramsey played mandolin. And Eric Tureen played bass for a while. And Benny Galloway played bass for a while. Benny Galloway was in a... Yeah. No way. Yeah. I did not know he was in the band. Yep. And it's actually Burl, or we call him Burl, because he's because he's that awesome. 
he was the part of the catalyst that turned it into an electric band because he had lined up a gig post uh, Winterfest up in Nederland in 2010, I believe it was. And they wanted a drummer and an electric group. So we got Chris Meisner, who was the drummer with us, uh, with Drew Emmett Band, and our original drummer with Grant Farm. Uh, and I went ahead and said, shoot, I'll just bring my electric guitar. I won't even need, I won't even bring my acoustic to this gig. Let's see how this goes. And it went great. The people loved us. They went ape shit. I said, oh, wow, maybe we should just do this electric thing. So that's what it evolved into. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of how the thing evolved from bluegrass into rock and roll. And nowadays we're still kind of trying to figure out who our fans are because we kind of started in, in this Colorado bluegrass jam grass scene. And now we're in this like psychedelic rock scene where people still call us a bluegrass band, which is kind of really funny. Right. Well, um, you, you've got some tie to it, right? Which, which it, yeah. does that, that helps you out probably, right? It, it does in some situations and also confuses people in others. But yeah. I feel like the whole scene is a little bit confused when it comes to bluegrass because that, that, uh, description is spread out way beyond what most people understand as what bluegrass is. But right. it, I don't mind that. It helps the scene. If, if, if people are into bluegrass, then they're going to check out other bluegrass, and that's great. Uh, but, oh, well, I mean, f- f- come on, for fuck's sake, Grand Farm is not a bluegrass band in any way, right. shape, no. or form. No. Every now and then we'll do an acoustic gig, and I'll play some flat-picking guitar, and, and we'll play some bluegrass music here and there. But, but our sound, we call it Cosmic Americana. Um, we also call it, we used to call it Roots Rock and Crisco. We've always had a Roots connection to what we do. Um, and everybody has this solid connection to American Roots music. And and for me, it come from the rock and roll, from bluegrass, from jazz, from country. Those elements all really play into our music. But I also grew up playing reggae music and, uh, classic rock and bits of psychedelic music and bits of jazz as did everyone mm-hmm. else in the band sean kevin adrian we all have similar upbringings i have a little more of the country and bluegrass background than the rest of the guys but holy shit they've all made up for it <laughs> since right then. right <laughs> well and so when did this current incarnation of grant farm happen because it's so you've gone through Andy Thorne leaves the band. Burl's not in it anymore, but he officiates all the Grant Farm weddings. Indeed. Um, <laughs> and, and and writes songs with you guys and, yep. and does all the meetings on the mountains. He's one of our spiritual guides. The meetings on the mountains, excuse Indeed. me. Um, so when did, who who joined first? Was it Ace or Sean? Uh, Ace. Uh, and Ace was part of the lineup that came together in 2011. Okay. Uh, and with Chris Meisner and Sean Foley, and then things didn't work out with Chris and Sean Foley and Chris. Did Meisner. it get ugly? It got ugly. It did. Oh, it did. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a whole another episode. Okay. We'll okay. Talk, I we'll, would. I will film that up. We'll record that episode right after we're done with this one. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, it didn't have to get ugly, but it did, unfortunately. Um, Things ended bad. Sometimes relationships end bad, and it's really sad because there's no a loss of love. You for talk? Me. Do you talk to him now? No. Okay, so it did end. It ended bad. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It weighs on weighs on me a lot all the time. 
Yeah. Uh, and Ace and I were in it together, and we we stuck it out, and we found Sean not too long after that. Was Sean playing in another local band? Or? Sean was connected to us through our friend David Regan, who manages groups and knew Sean through... Uh, I'm not exactly sure how he knew Sean, but Sean had played with Donovan Frankenrider. He says, hey, there's this great drummer who just moved to Fort Collins. And he played, he played with, with Donovan Frankenrider? Yeah, Sean did a whole a couple years or so with, with Donovan. And uh, so I thought, oh, he must be good. You know, like this yeah. is his calling card. Oh, he played with Donovan Frankenrider. So, he, so David Regan connected us and says, hey, you should contact Sean McCauley. And so we, we hit up Sean and got together and had a had a rehearsal and boom, there he is. Okay, there's Sean, awesome. Wow. And that... <clears throat> I've known a couple other people that have played with Donovan Frankenreiter. Uh, I, I, maybe that's just a weird coincidence. You need to get Sean on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about how often Donovan Frankenreiter recycles through side musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so Sean had had some experience, you know, and with other groups as well, but that was, you know, that was his big like tour in the world kind of act. Um, and Stephen Thurston, we found not long after that. And of course the honorable Dr. Greg Garrison connected us with Stephen Thurston as he did eventually with Kevin McHugh. Greg has been our resource for finding great keyboard players <laughs> and other musicians around yeah. Denver who would come through his program at UC, uh, UC Denver. So that was the lineup for about a year and a half. I think Stephen was with us. And so let's see. Sean joined in 2013, May of 2013. Ace has been in it since May of 2011. Okay. And Sean joined in about May of 2013. And then... Our golden boy Kevin McHugh showed up, and this was in was... 2015. January 5th was his first gig with us, opening for. Oh, what the fuck is that guy's name? Uh, Donovan uh, Frankenrider. No, it was at the Belly Up Aspen. Um, he's a kind of a Texas guy. Shit, Kevin. Uh, he's upstairs. I'll think of it. Yeah, I'll think of it. Uh, um, I think he's doing Christmas decorations. They're right now, decorating. We should disturb. Indeed. This. I hope this this uh, podcast isn't and, too post dated. And I I remember. Uh, well, this will come out well before Christmas, but we're do we're film we're recording. I've said filming twice now. Recording the episode. It is November fifteenth. Maybe a little early to get out the Christmas decorations, but if your girlfriend says it's time to get out Christmas decorations, then. Then there you go. The one thing that Kevin declared is it's too early for Christmas music. So you had a great uh, compromise there, Andy, putting on uh, George Winston's December. Yeah, yeah. Gets, I, you, gets you kind of close to Christmas time. Right, right. It can be Christmas music for those of us that grew up with it. And if you're not into Christmas music, you still like the uh, the record. Yeah, and I shit, think. there's snow on the ground around here. And so there's snow on the ground around Kind of feels here. like winter, yeah. Um, But I, I remember Kevin joining the band. I, I had... I guess my going into my senior year of college, I'd been living in the same house in South Denver for two years. And Kevin said, hey, before you re-sign a lease for the third year, because I was having to find new roommates every year, he goes, you should come check out my place in Lakewood. And I said, do you live near the light rail? And he goes, well, it's a, it's a, you know, a three-mile drive or something. Yeah, that place wasn't 
as yeah. located as as this one is. Yeah, yeah. I just I just laughed. I was like, oh, I would never go live with him. Not because I didn't like Kevin. We were merely acquainted at the time. We were just taking. We had a couple classes together, and we were both piano majors. But I didn't live with him. And then the following year, we ended up being on a gig together, and he he hooked me up with an audition at Howl at the Moon, dueling piano bar. Got the job, but was going to get transferred immediately. So I ended up living with Kevin because I didn't have to sign a lease. And I didn't end up moving. I, qu- I quit. And I remember being in the house with him, and he brought up, oh, I'm auditioning. Was that right when he, oh, right when he joined the band? Well, I, I moved in with him in July of 2013. So we'd been living together and become great, great friends. And I remember him bringing up that he had an audition that Garrison set up, and I'd seen the sticker around. I remember going, oh, yeah, Grant Farm. I'd seen you guys on a couple bills, but I knew the sticker. I knew the logo, and I said, oh, that's a, a well-known band in town was my was my thought. Um, it's working. It's working, yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, it was, tell it was me, cool Tell me that more he, about Kevin's early experience uh, talking to you about uh, – his time with the band. You know, that's sort of a blur at this point. Um, I've had three drinks. Was he skeptical? No. Well, shit, how many have I No, had? you know what? He was, so we both, I mean, he still fills in at Howl at the Moon. Um, I lost that privilege a while ago, but. Do these people know what that is? <laughs> dueling pianos. So Kevin oh, and Andy oh, dueling do pianos. dueling piano gigs. And this is part of Kevin's strength. We're doing that, one on Saturday. Yep. Uh, when Grant Farm does weddings or corporate gigs, Kevin is our secret weapon. He can do Sweet Caroline. He can do Friends in Low Places. He can do Don't Stop Believing. I mean, that's a valuable thing. And, yeah. you know, uh, Kevin appreciates that. He, 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 I feel like he has a certain amount of pride in that part of his musicianship, but it was something he really wanted to get away from when he was joining Grant Farm. Uh, because he's a creative musician, he wants to have his own voice. He wants to do something unique and not get stuck in piano, dueling piano gigs and doing covers the rest of his life. Right, right, and that's that's sort of where it was at. Is he? I, I had known I was going to pursue my own solo project since I was in high school, and that was the only way for me. I was very hard headed about it, and still am. Damn it! You're um, a true artist, Andy. I, I guess. I guess. I, I you know, I you're probably should have joined the band at some point. But nah, you're doing the right thing. I've always been uncompromising uncom- that way. I'm a huge fan. Oh, thanks, pal. Is that is that only after a couple glasses of whiskey? No, nope. no, all it's, the time. It, I'm a bigger fan before the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when Kevin got this opportunity, what I do remember is that he was excited to be able to be a part of something and 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 not that you aren't in a dueling piano setting but you're sort of confined to the rules here's the song and you play the song like it's written and you take the request whether you like it or not it's exactly like it is in grand farm yeah <laughs> <laughs> but tyler has different rules <laughs> <laughs> you know and he was excited to to be in a band and and be a part of arranging songs or writing songs. It's true. It was time touring. for Kevin. I think he'd been doing that thing for about four years at the time, the piano yeah. thing. And it's it's good money, a good living. And, uh, you know, gosh, Kevin had a 
nice new Subaru and he bought a house, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, he, he was making a decent amount of money doing the dueling piano gigs. And when, when I first phoned him to talk about the band, that was one of the things we talked about, you know, well, I said, well, how much money you're making now? He says, well, I'm making this much. I said, well, we're not going to be able to pay you that much. You know, he told me that yeah. I remember that. <laughs> You're not going to make dick, but you're going to have a great time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, not that, you know, we, we're getting there, you know, we're getting there. We, 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 we take care of each other and we, uh, we, we invest a lot back into the business. So, um, so we certainly don't, uh, it's, it's certainly not a money gig for anybody yet, but, and he knew that and, but it was time for Kevin at the, you know, to make the leap, uh, to get into something and to be involved in something that, he thought was going to be cool and could make a career out of. And and we're all in that, you know, that same boat together. We're, we're we found this unit, um, you know, which Kevin helped the whole thing to come together, you know, it was a huge part of it. And since that time, it was kind of a rebirth of the band. We've been through a few rebirths, you know, and during the plow and time era in 13 and 14, when Steven, was in the group that was a certain era of the band we were doing a certain thing and kevin joined on and you know not just his keyboard skills but obviously his voice was the you know we needed a third vocalist we needed to bring this three-part harmony back into the group that we'd lost with the last turnover because sean foley was our third singer at that time uh and at also, all these other things were coming together. The songwriting, uh, Sean getting so much more involved, Sean McCauley, Magic McCauley, uh, getting so much more involved with the songwriting and bringing in these themes, these characters, these stories. Uh, and, you know, the whole thing kind of was this crystallization of the unit that we were all kind of looking. You, you never know what it is. You throw yeah. these ingredients in, you try this, you try that. Like, oh, what's it going to be? And Grant Farm, for me, it was never about me. It's just like, okay, I called it Grant Farm because I was the only one I knew who was going to be in it. And I had like some fans here in Colorado already from playing with Drew for so long. Yeah. So I thought, okay, like I don't want to call it Tyler Grant Band or this or that. So Grant Farm, you know, it in a way it's appropriate uh, that it has grown in the way it has. Uh, but it's not about me at all. It's about the collective. It's the thing we've always wanted. Back to what I was saying about the Dusters and all these bands that I always envied. Oh my gosh, they have a band. They are in it together. You know, they're all writing songs. They're all singing together. So that's what we have today. Um, and it's, you know, these are all the, the stepping stones, you know, all the eras of it. But the current era that we are in uh, started when Kevin joined in 15. And it literally was january of 2015 and is this the era you feel not asking you to to rate all the eras but do you does it feel right as ever right now oh yeah oh for sure certainly uh throughout we've always had a thing we've always had you know great music and a great hang great bunch of guys everyone kind of in it together but the level that we're at now uh is definitely much higher than it was in any of those times. And also the level of creativity and originality. Um, we have, it, it, we kind of realized it after we did Kiss the Ground, our last album, which was released in 2016. So this is about a year after Kevin was in the band and when we, when we recorded um, January of 16. And we came up with this program 
And the way the songs, a lot of the songs were like really new, really fresh songs that I brought in. And mostly these songs that Sean had brought in and, uh, and Ace and, and, and Kevin, we all brought in songs. And the thing became greater than the sum became the whole, sorry, how do you say this? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, here's yeah. the thing. The whole <laughs> became greater than the sum of the parts. The whole became greater than some of the parts. <laughs> exactly so there was a wholeness of the element that was greater than anything that any of us could achieve on our own this is the whole point of grant farm this is the whole point of having a band is to achieve something that you couldn't do by yourself you need these other people you need compromise you need the uh all, all the minds working on it together and so you know we we all are a collective and since kev has been in it uh, ever since Kiss the Ground now, which has been three years since we tracked that. Now we're, tra- well, almost three years. Now we're tracking the next album and we've grown that much more. So I feel like we're at a really high level. We're really firing harder than we ever have. We're very consistent in our performances and we have a real product um, that has grown in an organic way. So as artists, as musicians, you know, we couldn't be happier. I mean, I couldn't. It's This is exactly what I've always wanted. Well, you seem to have a rejuvenated enthusiasm for for going for it. I know you guys have gone through uh, ups and downs. Oh, and, man. Well, some peaks and valleys, tell you what. And when there's times where you think stuff's about to really happen, I, I remember, uh, uh, who was it? Ogden Theater Opener. Uh, Green Sky. Green Sky, you guys opened for Green Sky Bluegrass, packed house. Everybody loved loved you guys. You're rock stars that night, and I remember there was talk of, oh, maybe maybe we'll open for them on a tour, and and it didn't it didn't pan out that way, unfortunately. And um, you know, you guys got this Red Rocks gig. You opened for String Cheese Instant at Red Rocks, uh, and it was an awesome gig. And then, do we play Red Rocks the next year? No. No, no, and and that's okay. That's not a. I wouldn't call that a failure by any means. Right. But uh, that's got to be tough. I I've seen, I've seen you guys play several gigs where you think, oh boy, this is it, and it's not quite yet. Um, People, you know, you're doing those co-headliners with uh with Fruition. You know, up in mm-hmm. Mishawaka and mm-hmm. and things like that. You guys did an EP together. Yeah. What is it? What is it? What has to click? Or 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 has it completely clicked, and you're just waiting for something? What's what has to happen to take Grant Farm? And I know I know this is the million dollar question. You'd love somebody to sure. to answer, but for you, what do you think is the the thing? It, it's so close, damn it! I can I've been feeling it for years. It's so damn close. Where if at the next turn you take a slight left instead of a slight right, but th- this is the things that everybody battles in the music industry and are, are great to talk about. What's what's that thing that Grant Farm needs to to really solidify themselves on the next level? Sure. Well, let me preface this by saying that, okay, those of you who are listening to this podcast in 2020 or 21 and we're like a huge band, I'll just admit that at this time we're not that huge. Okay. Right, because the the drummer <laughs> tragically died in a car accident and then the band just got fucking huge. They haven't played a show since 2019, but this is the next Nirvana we're talking. <laughs> well, sorry, Sean. Yeah, I I would not <laughs> wish that upon you. <laughs> he understands. Um. Well, okay. 
the thing is, what is success? Okay, you have to define uh, success. And we joke about this all the time, but we're actually serious when we're sharing a hotel room with all four of us and, you know, bunking up in the beds with our sleeping bags and uh, yeah. just in the van, piled in. Kevin's back there in the landfill with sleeping bags all over him. We have the toppers, you know, Ace is navigating, Sean's driving. I'm sitting in the office, you know, making phone calls, typing. And we, you know, we tell each other, this, this is what we're going to miss once we're in this big tour bus and once we're like getting on salary or flying in our private jets. You know? Right. So there's a, rom- a romance to it. And the other part of it is that I don't know if I would have wanted to be discovered a few years ago. We were good, but you know, where we are now is different. Like mm-hmm. we're ready now. Yeah. You know, and in a couple months we'll probably be even more ready. We'll have the album, you know, well, you know, in by May, June of 2019, things are probably going to look a lot different. Yeah. So, you know, we are in the position where we are self-managed. You know, we've had agency for a long time. Brandon Mann, Crescendo Artist, uh, our agent since 2012. So we have a long relationship, but we don't have management. We're self-managed. We have a certain level of how we want things to go. So it's a bit of a micromanagement scene. We all kind of run it ourselves. But there aren't band managers out there. And I don't know, like I'm speaking to people who are band managers, so I don't want to say too much. There's a lot of great managers we know and people who are friends and who manage bands, but it's a tough job. And the music business these days is less forgiving, I think, than it ever has been. Things are changing all the time. So for band managers, they really have to be committed and work full time to make anything happen for a group. So we would like to have solid management so we can get out of the purveyor role. We're the purveyors of our product, of our own product. You know, we'd rather just be the product we'd rather not even think about it that way we just want to like play music right right and do what we do so we we we're actually really good at keeping that sacred you know we keep our music pure um and we're also all involved. although you mentioned maybe making it unpure and throwing an f-bomb in there might oh there you go popularity exactly. yeah sure. and you know if if shoot i mean if something sells out sure we're, we're not afraid of selling out yeah but uh we're just gonna do our what we do, you know, we're going to, we're going to stay true to ourselves and we have our silly, you know, our silly songs, our Moraf Tanarg songs. That's the subject of a entirely another podcast. And, and we need to get the, all the guys in on that one. On the Moraf Tanarg. Uh, and that is a Grant Farm spelled and sounded out backwards. Indeed. <clears throat> Moraf Tanarg. And we, we write, you know, just goofy songs about, you know, life on the road or just things you do, you know. Uh, again, this I is think, a subject for an entire. Nerd. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> some late nights hanging out with roommate Kevin. He's got some good contributions oh, to yeah. that band. T-shirt towel, hot beer in the van, uh, bucket of rocks. You know, these are, these are just song titles. Rolling down the hill, feeling bad. Yeah, buddy, I'm stuck. You got to go all in before you get out. You know. Yeah. Right. 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 
we have, I mean, a double album of Moreft and Arg songs by now. But the funny thing is, they're they're not fleshed out at all. It's a verse and a chorus, and that's all you got. You know, that's fine. You got some wet clothes, buddy. That's that's one of the big hits. Yeah, I like that. Wet, <laughs> wet clothes. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, when I when I get my big hit, I'll fund the recording of that record for you. Oh man, and vice versa. When we get our big hit, we'll we'll fund you. Uh, by the way, we have a Kickstarter up. I don't. When is this launched? This will launch probably next Thursday. Cool. Well, we have a Kickstarter up for Broken 2, our latest album. It's a going to be a double vinyl. I'm going to say that in all faith that that's really going to happen. And this is uh, three words, not two. Broke in two, not Broke. Broken 2. Nope, exactly. Broke in two. Why is that the title of the record? It's a song that Adrian wrote. Okay. Um which discusses the duality of being. Um, and he got some insight from that reading the Bhagavad Gita and some other Eastern uh, mythology describing the story of creation, uh, describing the duality of, of things. It relates to yin and yang. It relates to male and female, to light and dark, mm. to these things. You guys are all kind of into that yeah, right now. Or, yep. or maybe always have been, but it seems like that's been a theme in a lot of the songs. Yeah, well, mythology, you know, uh, mythology of all types, you know, and it. We've always done gospel songs. It's something that I that I kind of brought to it. You know, I love singing bluegrass gospel and you know these upli- uplifting you know songs from the Christian tradition. Um, and Sean started really studying up on the mythology and getting some of the archetypes involved from just the general you know mythological sense which includes yeah. you know things that predate christianity and you know ancient greeks and all back through all religions and all uh faiths of all times have been telling a lot of the same stories you know yeah a lot of the same characters a lot of the same archetypes right um and yeah, we've we've all been into that. We're all, you know, we're into I mean, we're fucking Andy, we're hippies. We're in yeah, we, yeah. we play hippie I get, festivals. I understand that we now as pot. you as you blow a <laughs> as you blow a cloud in my bedroom. But no, truly, uh, you know, everyone's on a path of self improvement. You know, we're we're all being real healthy. We exercise on the road, you know. I'm, you're you're a uh, you cook good food. Like we 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 and we do this for each other yeah. on, on the road as well. We're we'll bring healthy food and we uh, try to keep each other, you know, uh, help each other have opportunities to, to, to eat, eat healthy food and, uh, be accountable for one another, encouraging each other to get out. Let's say, let's have a hike. Let's go to the hot springs. Let's, uh, maybe go to a yoga class. We've done, we've done things like this and, uh, you know, yoga, meditation, prayer. These are, these are parts of my daily life. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, it's all a path to wholeness, and uh, that's, you know, the Broken 2 part is, you know, the story of creation and uh, and the oneness again, you know, and right. uh, and everybody's on a path to wholeness. So so that's another part of, the, I mean, Adrian could tell you more about this, but the Broken 2 concept really uh, is, uh, you know, we are one, Broken 2, and it's this, uh, it's the same as if you're into astronomy and into the oscillating universe theory, there's the creation, the Big Bang, and the universe reaches its limit and then goes back to the singularity. So mm. um, that's, anyway, that's, that's it is a deep. hippie concept prog <laughs> rock album. Right. Uh, and we're going to put it out on double vinyl. And there's a hippie, uh, <laughs> there's a Kickstarter, uh, good, old, good old hippie Kickstarter happening as well. 
Um, so you should check that out. You know, uh, Kickstarter, Grant Farm, Broken 2. The campaign ends on December 18th of 2018. So that's a cosmic number, right? And and there's a lot of different... Uh... Do you call we call them rewards? Yep, there's rewards. There's yeah. a lot of different rewards. Yeah. Uh, there's a rumored uh, put date with Andy Sido. I think the date with Andy Sido needs to happen. Yeah, I think that would be great. And it, um, it, but part of the date is you have to at least do a short podcast with him. Okay. By the end of the night, you you can actually take control of the of the scene. You want a little drink? Yeah, yeah, sure. And now I I don't know how I feel about Evan Williams, but but for the sake of hanging out with you, Tyler, I'll do it. I'll bet you're going to feel pretty good about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, Evan. This is fun. I like, this is the first time I've I've interviewed somebody that I currently live with, and, and we've just been roommates for a short time, but... Uh, well, I'm officially I, itinerant, Andy, but it is nice living here for a little while. Yeah, yeah, it's... I haven't shared a bathroom since college, and, and we have our disagreements about that, but... Uh, but it's really great. You you sleep about eight feet from me, and I kind of feel seventeen, eighteen. I feel I feel like I'm in the dorms again. It's cool, you know. But also, you're almost old enough to be my dad, but not well, quite. I'm so. glad we could inspire each other in these ways, Andy. <laughs> um, no, it's it's great being here because you're in a house of musicians. I don't know how much you've described this on your podcast, but uh, here we are at uh, the house in Lakewood. Kevin McHugh owns this house. Andy and Luke rent from him. Uh, Brittany stays here quite a bit, Kevin's girlfriend, and I am staying here for a little while while we're tracking. <laughs> Careful with that. Get it in your mouth, son. <laughs> All right. uh, but it really is an inspired group of people. Everyone's really active uh, doing their music and, uh, you know, all their other healthy cosmic uh Life, life things that they unhealthy do. Unhealthy cosmic life things that yeah, we do. But you know the, you all are doing a great thing here, and you know we have to put a house jam together. And he- here's how it'll be: probably you'll play guitar, I'll play bass, Luke will play keys, and Kev will play drums. In fact, we should do a recording and add that to this podcast. That would be sweet. That would be sweet. That would and be a hell of a house. Band. I, I want to play. I want to play twelve string in the background. Okay, like sure. I said, if I ever if I ever get to become an honorary Grant Farm member, my dream is to be that guy who plays twelve string, but like stands kind of behind the drummer. Yep. And You're I'm be in on the and, riser and I, in the back. I'm in no one's monitor. I'm in no one's monitor. I want to be like that mascot where people in the audience are like, "Why is he in the?" Band? Uh, you'd be in my monitor, Andy. Thank you. Because I wrote those parts. Yeah, I really want to hear. hear <laughs> well, if you want to hear the parts played correctly, you should get someone else to play the the twelve string parts. Well, we were talking about this the other night. It's the Scott Thurston role. Scott Thurston from the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He can sing great backup. He can sing great lead. He can play guitar in every context he can play any kind of keys he's their utility guy and if ever we hire anyone andy i mean this would be shortchanging you a little bit but i know you would do it for us here and there to be our utility scott thurston player hit those 12 string parts the acoustic rhythm parts i'll coach you and i'm going to be a drill sergeant you're not going to get away with any lack of ability right if i'm playing 12 string you're gonna hit both the e strings you're gonna get those fingers in tight yeah son deal well hey before we before we conclude things i gotta ask one more question uh just because i 
I wanted to on the podcast. I don't even know why I'm telling you why I'm asking the question. <laughs> Probably because uh, we've been smoke. Well, you've been smoking, and we've I've been, been vaping. We've I don't been drinking. Smoke. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes, but I try not to. I do the vape. And we've been drinking, <laughs> drinking in my room. Um, and we've both had long working days. It's been a long working day indeed. <sighs> so I, I have this song called New Orleans. Oh, yeah. And it, it came out on my second record. Indeed, it almost came out on our third record. Yeah, okay, that, uh, that's what I want to talk about. So <laughs> Kevin brought Kevin liked the song, and he brought it to the band, and you guys started playing it live. And I, a highlight for me as a songwriter was seeing you guys play it at the Mishawaka. Uh, and I swear to God I recorded it, and I don't know where it is. Um, but it was super cool. And then you got it did get recorded on the session, and it did not make it onto the album. And and the way Kevin tells it, he said, "Damn it, I really wanted it on the album, but the other guys did not." And I and I I take no uh, <laughs> I take no offense, but I, but I but I need but I need to hear the story from uh, from the other side of the farm. <laughs> okay, well, all right. Well, the reason it didn't make the album wasn't because it's not a good song or because the performance wasn't good because we have that track. It's fucking great. Uh, but it just didn't fit the program. There was a, let's see, two songs that Kev brought in that we recorded that didn't make it. There was one song that I brought in that didn't make it and one song that Adrian brought in. So we all had things cut and it was all for the same reason that those songs just didn't fit that program. And uh, Kev, one of his songs, uh, Two Cents, made it on our next album, the live album, The Meeting Mm -hmm. on the Mountain, which it fits in perfect in that program. And it's a great song. We still play that song. Um, But that's why New Orleans did not make the cut. And it turned out to just not really be much of a Grant Farm song. It's too different than what we do. It's yeah. the most. It's the most diverse. What am I trying to say? Diasporate, the biggest non sequitur that we ever had in our sets, as it turned out. But I tell you what, Andy Sitto, next time you're around, we're gonna fucking play that song for you <laughs> because it's a great song. And I love your cut of it. And we did that on our Spotify playlist, remember? You're on our Farmly playlist. That's right. That's right, the Farmly playlist. And that was one of the first songs Kev brought in, and it's a great song. We'll do it. We'll do it, Andy. (laughs) We just, you know, when you get going, you know how it is. Oh, absolutely. Your set lists evolve, and the things that the band does, the things you focus on become a different thing. I look back on set lists. You know, our live band set list, we have songs we've been playing for seven years. And then we have other songs that, we played for years, and then I haven't played in a year and a half, and we just look back. Like, well, When's the ha- last time you played New Orleans? What happened to that song? Uh, we do New Orleans when we have four hour sets. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's not in our forty. It's not in our in our hot forty five. So I don't feel that bad. No, no, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. I just we needed some sort of controversial climax for viewership. That was great. Um, the, yeah, the album cut is great, and I love playing that little B minor, C sharp minor jam. That's my favorite part. As I, I, I listened to the recording you guys did of the scratch. But we did, did uh, it was very cool. With we the did this whole jam. like uh, African like the six over four thing. We did the yeah the that yeah we did an interesting rhythm. It was very cool. An in- interesting rhythm than you did. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting <laughs> rhythm. Yeah, and an interesting. Er- solos 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I really, I, yeah, I dug it. Um, well, uh, speaking of solos, do you want to play us out with something? Oh, we sure. haven't, we haven't done a live performance on the on the podcast I'll do my yet. My best. Well, I'm sitting here looking at an SM58. Uh, do you want my SM58 as well? Um, you might get a better record. Well, I don't know. Uh, let me just play. I don't want to sing. I'm just gonna play something. Okay. I'll just play you an instrumental. We'll wait. It's late at night. Here we go. Let's see. What am I gonna play? Oh shit. You can edit this part out, right? You edit these? I could edit it out, but I'm probably not going to. (laughs) Yeah. I have the ability. We'll wait, Tyler. Here we go. All right. Jeez, what am I supposed to play? Uh, I'm gonna improvise for a second while I think. one called Texas Gals. Nice song. Yeah. I'm trying to think <laughs> which one it is. Here's how it goes.
haven't Thanks, played that fam. one in a while. But hey, it's all just simple melodies, and that's what music's all about. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. We'll we'll have you back. We will. The whole band next time. Let's do it. I get Kevin McHugh on here too. Absolutely. Right. He, he's coming down in ten minutes. All right. All right, Tyler Grant. What do you think? I think besides our small differences in bathroom cleanliness, I think he's a pretty nice guy. And he was very kind to come on the show. And we even got a live performance. He played Texas Gales. It's his arrangement. That's a traditional tune. It was cool to see that live in the bedroom. Okay, if you enjoy the podcast, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to it. We're on Android now. Did I tell you that? We're available on that Android podcast app, whatever it's called now. So wherever you listen to your podcast, Go and give us a five-star review if you think uh, this is deserving of a five-star review. If it's not, keep it to yourself. Don't don't review it. Um, but, you know, write something down. Say something nice. I'd appreciate it very, very much. For any comments, concerns, complaints, death threats, hate mail, you can email me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>